Chapter thirty four of Harry D. or Making It Out. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by John Brandon. Harry D. or Making It Out by Francis J. Finn. Chapter thirty four. In which Percy Wynne throws additional light upon Caggett's narrative and puts an end to the mystery. Hello, Harry. Merry Christmas. Percy was bending over me with a scared face. Thank God. Thank God, I whispered. Is it you, Percy, that saved me? I never counted on looking upon your dear face again. Yes, Harry, without boasting, I can say that I saved your life. Caggett had you down when I struck out at him. I attempted to rise from the bed on which I was lying, but found I could scarcely lift my head. So stiff and sore was I from cuts, bruises, and loss of blood. I gave a gasp of pain and sank back upon the pillow. Poor boy, said Percy. You mustn't try to move again. I've spent over an hour bandaging you, and if you move my bandages will come loose. Be patient for a while. I've sent for a doctor for you and a constable for Caggett. Where is he? I inquired, trying to take a full view of the room, and noticing in the effort that the bed was stripped of blanket, coverlet, and sheets. He's in the room next this, the wretch. But you wouldn't know him. I've bundled him up in blankets and sheets. They were the nearest things to ropes I could get, till he couldn't move hand or limb. He's such an awful sight, though, that I thought it would be pleasanter for you to miss seeing him. But, Percy, you haven't told me how you came to save me. It's a long story, Harry. I went on the principal, better late than never, and took the evening train after paying your father a visit. I got to the depot beyond about three-quarters of an hour before sunrise, and I found standing there, solitary and stupid, an insignificant-looking little man, who seemed to be in a state bordering on insanity. Oh, Mr. Nugent, I put in. Yes, I got his name out of him, at about the time that an ordinary dentist would have extracted all his double teeth. I plied him hard with questions, and I'm afraid I shook him a little roughly, poor fellow, before I could get the least inkling of the way things had been going on here. He gave me the idea that Caggett was dead because of the ghost, and that you were dying. I didn't wait for anything more, but set off for the house at a dead run. Six miles? Did you run all the way? Pretty much. When I got in sight, though, I was content to walk. I came on getting nearer and nearer, when, as I was within three or four hundred feet of the house, I heard a cry. Help! Help! You heard me, Percy. So I thought, and then you should have seen me run. I beat my record that time and came bounding into the house and up the stairs. I could hear an awful rolling and tumbling going on, and guided by the sound, I made for this room. Caggett was just about to stab you. The two blows I gave him were cruel. He dropped over to one side like a log. But Percy! There now, lie still. You shouldn't get excited. I've lots more to tell you, you see. I know the whole story. Caggett told me everything. 
How? I exclaimed incredulously. Oh, he didn't want to, but I persuaded him. At first, when he came to and found himself tied up in sheets and bedclothes, he wouldn't talk at all. But I saw that he was nervous, and I thought that by taking him on his weak point, I might get all the news out of him. I took it for granted, of course, that he was the murderer. How did you work on his nerves, Percy? Oh, it was quite simple. I cocked a pistol and put the muzzle against his ear and said, Mr. Caggett, will you be obliging enough to answer a few questions? And Mr. Caggett became very obliging all at once, for he professed himself willing and ready to answer any and all questions I might put to him. Then I took the pistol away from his ear and began patching you up, poor boy, while I put him through a long examination. Would you like to hear the first and complete edition? He told me all that you know, and I'm sure you're puzzled still. Where did you get the pistol? Right here in this room. I found it in Caggett's pocket, and it was loaded, too. I could see that by the way Caggett acted when I pressed it against his ear. By the way, Mr. Caggett, I believe, will never be hanged for the murder. What drinking has left undone in ruining his health, the terror and the wounds and what not of this night have accomplished. The wretched man will probably never leave his bed again. Tell me what he told you, Percy. Well, be quiet, you're weak. You know how once upon a time your uncle destroyed a will in your presence which favored Caggett? and read one in your favor. Your nurse claimed $50,000 from your uncle, said she'd have it, and made some remarks about your uncle not living long. Caggett overheard every word. He had a trick of using a keyhole. He became very angry and made up his mind to get something out of your uncle. He knew that Mr. D. had a large sum of money on his person, $43,000, which he would place under his pillow at night and he determined to get that money and fly the country. He did not make up his mind to kill your uncle. That was an afterthought. At twelve o'clock he stole up to Mr. D.'s room, advanced on tiptoe to his side, and tried to get the money. But here began all the trouble. There was no money under Mr. D.'s pillow. Caggett examined very cautiously and without disturbing the sleeper, he knew your uncle generally slept with it under his pillow. But on this particular night of all nights, there wasn't a trace of the money. Was the dagger there? I broke in. Yes, it was quite convenient to your uncle's hand. Where was the money? In the place you found it, answered Percy. You understand, don't you? It's plain that your uncle anticipated some danger or other that night, and hid those things away. Ah, I exclaimed. He suspected that Caggett might attempt to rob him. Precisely. Knowing Caggett pretty well, it might have occurred to him that his servant had been eavesdropping and might attempt to visit him that very night. Anyhow, whatever was the reason of his suspicions, he was justified in the event. Well, to go on, Caggett began a systematic search of the room. Of course he didn't find the money, for till a few hours ago, he didn't even know anything of that secret recess. Finally, he approached the bed again and was about to renew his search when your uncle suddenly opened his eyes, gave a gasp, and whispered, Who's there? And as he spoke, he caught Caggett's arm. 
Kagged with a jerk released himself, and as your uncle gave a cry for help, he caught him by the throat, choked him into silence, and grasping the dagger, which had slipped from your uncle's hand, plunged it into his breast. Would you believe it, Harry? That villain told me this as though he was speaking of the state of the weather. Having assured himself that your uncle was dead, the wretch walked over to the table, and turning up the light, your uncle, it seems, always slept with the light burning low, he wrote a note in imitation of James D.'s handwriting, announcing, Ah, I gasped, there's more light. You saw the note already, Harry. Caggett told me. But to return to our story, Caggett had just blotted and sealed this when he heard a footstep without. Scarcely knowing what he was doing and certainly not knowing why, Caggett hastened over to the bed and pinned the letter where you found it. Then he brought out a pistol and cocking it waited. The steps drew nearer and nearer. Caggett waited motionless. Then Harry, you appeared, a little boy in your nightshirt. You stopped for a moment on the threshold, and as Caggett says, looked straight at him. That was very near the last of you, old boy. Caggett picked up a very heavy walking stick and advanced with the intention of braining you. But instead of drawing back, you walked right in. He remembered that he had heard you were a sleepwalker and lowered his arm. You kept on your course, walked past him, and stopped at your uncle's bed. You passed your hands over your uncle's face and breast, and even touched the knife. In leaning against the bed, Caggett saw that you had dabbed your nightshirt with blood. This suggested a new plan to him. You were a somnambulist. It would appear that you in your sleep had murdered your uncle. Resolving to destroy the letter he had forged next day, Caggett stole on his tiptoes out of the room and made his way hastily to his own sleeping room, which was halfway down the hall. Ah, I exclaimed, his were the footsteps that my nurse heard. So I think, too. Well, he had not been in his room half a minute, when he heard someone else coming along the corridor. He put a chair beside his door. There was no light in his room, and looked through the transom. He saw your nurse, who was very agitated, carrying a lamp in her hand, and then he saw the meeting between you and her. He watched your nurse's movements until she left the house, and then he felt sure that no suspicion would fall on him. Did he give up the search for the money? No, indeed. After Mrs. Dorn left the house, he spent a part of the night in searching your uncle's room. Even when all else had deserted the place, he continued his search for several days. On the last day he was severely frightened in some unaccountable way, and left precipitately, vowing never to come near the house again. He didn't keep his vow, I observed. No, the fact was, when you announced your intention to him of making a search for the money, he remembered how in a hurry of leaving he had neglected to destroy the forged letter. Then it occurred to him that if the money were found, he was entitled to it. Mr. Caggett is a poor logician. These considerations added to your promise of money overcame his fear. He counted on destroying that note to begin with, and in the next place 
If the money was found, he was determined to make off with it. Have you seen the treasure, Percy? Yes, after removing Mr. Keggett, I gathered up the scattered contents of that box. I never handled so much money in my life. It took me a long time to get it together, for I had to keep my eyes on you and be on the lookout for some passer-by to get assistance. When I did get it all together, I brought the box by your side, Harry, and counted out the money, and watched you closely for ever so long a time. Did you know how much you've fallen heir to? How much? Forty-five thousand and some odd dollars. Isn't that a Christmas gift? I exclaimed. Within a week, Percy, those forty-five thousand dollars will be put in a bank, and there they'll grow to more in preparation for that great boys and girls magazine that is to be. Percy, allow me to return your first greeting. I wish you a happy Christmas. And as we shook each other's hand, we heard voices without and people entering, and we knew that the mystery of Tower Hill Mansion was solved, that the problem had been made out, and that the shadow which had wrapped my life thus far had been lifted forever. End of chapter 34